0: The Misery Machine.
1: I'm Drewby. And
0: I'm Yergi. This week.
1: I know we said we were yeah. going to do something more lighthearted.
0: But we didn't. I'm so sorry.
1: It's for an important reason. As some of you may know, this is Pride Month. Because of that, we felt compelled to do the most famous
0: Hate crimes, essentially, in the state of Maine, which actually kicked off a lot of the programs in Maine for the LGBT community.
1: Yes. So this is the Charlie Howard killing. And this seems like a weird thing. Oh, we're celebrating Pride Month, so let's cover a gay man who was killed. But it's very important because this is something that didn't get national attention, like, say, the Matthew Shepard killing did. And also, I just don't feel, even though it was kind of famous in our state, it quickly fell by the wayside. I didn't know about it until I was much older, and the people who took part in the killings got a very light slap on the wrist. It's just absolutely unthinkable compared to what would happen nowadays. So I think it really bears having awareness being raised about it. If you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. We're almost at 450, and that's growing really fast. So thank you to everybody who's been helping us with that. Our social media is in the description, but without further ado, this is Charlie Howard Killing. Charlie Howard was born in Portsmouth, New Hampshire on January 31, 1961. He was a young, fair-haired, effeminate man. Charlie was small-boned and suffered from severe asthma. He was often made fun of as a small child, and he was bolded in high school due to his sexual orientation. He did not attend his graduation to spare his family from the taunts he often received. With his poor grades, he knew college was not for him.
0: Charlie left Portsmouth, New Hampshire and eventually landed in Ellsworth, Maine. When the relationship that he was in ended in January 1984, Charlie left Ellsworth for Bangor, Maine. In Bangor, Paul Nodden and Scott Hamilton befriended Charlie. Charlie was homeless with no prospects and Scott and Paul welcomed Charlie into their home. After a month, Charlie's opportunities were nil and Scott and Paul convinced him to return home to Portsmouth to live with his mother and stepfather.
1: Unfortunately, Charlie was not home a week with his family when he knew he could not stay. He had a brief relationship that ended quickly, and when he called his two friends in Bangor, they realized Charlie was hurting and invited him to come back to Bangor. So Charlie returned. In high spirits, he joined a local supportive Unitarian church on Union Street, as well as the Bangor support group Interweave. Church had never been a big part of Charlie's life, but the acceptance he felt among the Unitarians was a new experience. Here he found a new place to express his own openness and sense of humor and his love for life. He started attending services regularly and soon decided to undertake the preparations required for membership.
0: The UU Church and Interweave were the only two organizations in Bangor that welcomed the LGBT community at the time. Many of the churches, in fact, were openly hostile. Fundamentalist preachers used their pulpits to blame gays and lesbians for many of society's ills. Here he made new friends and was accepted for who he was. And thanks for their support, Charlie prepared Easter dinner for Paul and Scott and decorated their home. Eventually, Charlie took an apartment on First Street near his church and adopted a kitten.
1: Charlie lived at a time when most gay men were still closeted, but Charlie was out and even flamboyant to an extent. If he felt like, quote, sissying it up, for example, for those who don't know what that means, wearing makeup, jewelry, and feminine accessories, he did so. He was also known for singing the song, I Am What I Am, from the musical La Cage aux Full. In
0: 1984, many were not tolerant of gays and lesbians, and victims of gay bashing often did not report the incidents to the police. Especially in Maine. Especially in Maine. Charlie was often tormented by local high school boys and was asked to leave a local nightclub called the West Market Disco, which was not open when I lived in Bangor, when he danced with a man. Charlie was accosted by a woman in a local market one day who shouted epithets at him, such as, you pervert, you queer. Frightened, Charlie quickly left, but as he was leaving, he stopped, turned around, and blew a kiss. After this, Charlie was more wary of strangers. Leaving his apartment one day, he found his pet kitten dead on the doorstep. It had been strangled. Mm
1: -hmm. On Saturday, July 7th, 1984, Charlie attended a potluck supper at Interweave, leaving the party at about 10 p.m. with his boyfriend Roy Ogden. Charlie decided to walk to the post office to retrieve his mail. As Charlie and Roy walked up State Street and began to cross the Kenduskeg River Bridge, a car full of high school teenagers began to slow down. In the car were Sean Mabry, Jim Baines, Daniel Ness, and two other unnamed girls. They had been at a party and had left to purchase alcohol with a fake ID that one of the girls had in her possession. Seeing Charlie, the boys got out of the car and decided to give chase. The two girls remained in the car. Charlie began to run where he recognized the vehicle from an earlier incident. Shouting epithets, the boys gave chase. Charlie fell because of his asthma and could not catch his breath. Roy Ogden ran further down State Street and stopped and observed what was about to happen.
0: Pouncing on Charlie, the boys began beating and kicking him. Jim Baines shouted to throw Charlie over the bridge and grabbed him by the legs. Jim Baines and Daniel Ness grabbed Charlie and they began lifting him. Pleading for his life, Charlie grabbed the rail and begged them not to throw him in the river as he could not swim prying his hand loose they began to pitch him over the rail with sean mabry giving the final push the boys then returned to the car which the girls were trying to start spying ogden they threatened him not to tell anyone why do i have to cry all the time
1: because because <sighs> this happened in our backyard and this is really gross i think like we forget just how much heinous stuff like this happened to you know as LGBT people for I don't a know. very long time I have to say time.
0: sorry to Eddie because I know he doesn't like to listen to when I cry but I'm sorry <laughs>
1: we didn't expect that to no. happen either yeah I mean like I reading this out loud I just I kind of get emotional too because I was just like holy shit this was a real thing like not too long ago we don't We don't really see stuff like this This was actually like the
0: first like hate crime I learned about because like I was the president of my school's civil rights team in the 90s when they first started making those. This was like the first like hate crime I had like Uh, learned about.
1: Mine was Matthew Shepard. We we can talk about our own experiences with that like yeah. growing up and just seeing that sort of stuff. But yeah, so yeah. finishing
0: this. Okay. Yeah, um, so they
1: spied Roy Ogden and they threatened him not to tell anyone. Roy Ogden then ran for help and pulled the first fire alarm he came to on State Street. Uh soon the sirens could be heard, an immediate search for Charlie began among the concrete walls that retained the Ken Dusk egg. At 1 a.m., Charlie was found. An autopsy would show he had suffered from a severe asthma attack and drowned. Returning to the party, the boys bragged about the encounter. The next day, one of the boys turned himself in after he learned that Charlie had died. The other two boys decided to leave town on a freight train and thought better of it. Returning home, they were arrested. I'm just, like, so shocked they didn't think that this wouldn't kill somebody.
0: Right, especially if they're saying that they can't swim.
1: That river isn't the calmest river sometimes. And I'm pretty sure there's a waterfall or a dam that it leads to.
0: So to kind of explain where this is, because a lot of people are not going to be from the area. So the Kenduska River stream, that goes down State Street, which is basically downtown bangor it's where all the shops are it's where all these crazy one ways are it goes right down there and then it empties into the penobscot which is the big busy river that follows along where the waterfront is where the concerts are yeah but it if you can't swim there's no way to get out because there's like cement retaining walls so if you're you can't swim you're fucked you're not gonna get out yeah and that's why he drowned
1: So now after looking at a picture of it, I think that even if you could swim, you would drown because the walls are just so high and there's no way out. There doesn't seem to be anything to hold on to or climb up out of.
0: There really isn't. So if my memory serves me correctly with this, it is those retaining walls all the way until it hits the Penobscot and empties into the river in Pickering Square. So unless you are a very good swimmer and can just ride it out...
1: Or can float on your back or something. Or float on your back. It's kind of hard to do with clothes on. Yeah,
0: I don't believe you can get out until there I mean it's not that far but if it's rough or you're not a good swimmer I mean it seems
1: like a safety hazard that there should be something there to hold on to in case somebody falls yeah it seems like a huge drowning hazard I wonder if people that people drowning in that river is not an uncommon thing
0: yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I haven't really walked that area in a long time. If we head up to Bangor anytime soon, we can go ahead and stop. It's a, it's a nice area anyway. Yeah, I've been a really there of nice
1: times. You know, we discussed this when we talked about Annalise Heinig. There are a bunch of deaths in Maine from people mysteriously being pushed into or falling into bodies of water. This This river, was that one of the places where there were mysterious deaths?
0: So, no. Not in the Kanduskeg, but Penobscot, yes. So that gentleman that I knew from the main punk scene up in Bangor, Jimbug yeah. he went into the Penobscot around that area within a mile, they believe. So that was one that we kind of covered in that episode. And then there was a gentleman who went into the Stillwater River that connects into the Penobscot up in Orono. So within a 5 to 10 mile radius, yes.
1: Uh, it's so scary, and this was done openly. Yeah. So after the boys were arrested, they were sent to Hancock County Jail, and they were later released into their parents' custody. That's
0: strange. I don't know why they sent them to the Hancock County Jail. Why wouldn't they just send them to Penobscot? Was there not a Penobscot Jail back then? M- there might must not have, have been. been. I
1: mean, this was almost thirty years ago, so it's but, hard to like, say. But like Penobscot
0: County's bigger than Hancock. Yeah. So that's just interesting. Anyway, tangent. Uh, the
1: the justice system in Maine is weirdly set up, but they were all tried as juveniles. Despite I, I don't have their ages, but they were at least sixteen years they of age. They were like sixteen,
0: seventeen when this happened. Yeah,
1: under the age of eighteen, but no younger than sixteen. I mean, they were driving. Yeah, they were all driving. I mean, there could have been somebody in the car who was under sixteen, but
0: I know some of them were sixteen.
1: Yeah. Okay. So they were sentenced on October 1st, 1984 to the Maine Youth Center not to exceed their 21st birthdays, which is ridiculous because this is straight up murder. Nowadays, you hear all the time somebody's 14, 15, tried as an adult, younger tried as an adult. And it would
0: be probably life because it's tied in its murder and it's a hate crime on top of it.
1: Nowadays, yes, would be considered a hate crime. Let's say they threw some little old lady into the river. They would be tried as adults. What we're reading off doesn't really suss out is why were they given such a light sentence? And probably it's because they killed a gay man.
0: They killed a gay man. It was the 80s. I'm thinking that in northern-ish Maine, I mean, still Bangor is considered central Maine, but not the south central Maine that we're from. It's very different up there. Yeah, as far as... <sighs> very different I up there. I use this term
1: loosely. As far as populated areas in Maine are concerned, Bangor is considered northern Maine.
0: It's the last populated area before you start getting into the county yeah but yeah,
1: excluding the county I I know somebody's gonna rip me a new one for that if anyone listens from the county but that's like way up north Holton Fort Kent those areas so
0: I'm, I'm thinking that maybe the justice system thought it was a case of boys just being boys and fucking around
1: I definitely think that if let's say they killed some grandmother, it would have been different. It would have been different. absolutely been different. It, it's the fact it was a gay man, mm-hmm. and just like other cases of killing gays and lesbians, trans people, sentences that were doled out tend to be pretty light. And we can get into that later, especially with stuff that you know I saw growing up. But it really needs to be mentioned, the fact that they were not tried as adults and were given such light sentences absolutely had to do with the fact that Charlie Howard was gay. Mm -hmm. Baines was released after two years and Mabry was released after 22 months
0: so, this event galvanized the Bangor community in ways similar to the killing of Matthew Shepard, although the case never attained the same level of national notoriety. 25 years later, the Bangor Daily News, which is the newspaper up there, tried to locate Sean Mabry, Jim Baines, and Daniel Ness, now middle aged men, for their views on the murder. They were unable to locate Mabry and Ness at the time, but found Jim Baines, who was living and working in Bangor. Following his release from the detention center, he spoke regularly about the tolerance to low- local students and even addressed the Maine State Legislature in support of a bill to ban discrimination based on sexual orientation. In addition, he co-authored the book Penitence with Ed Armstrong in 1994. Baines did not receive any of the profits for the book. The same year, Sean Mabry expressed his regrets about his participation. He stated that he thinks about Charlie Howard every day.
1: The Maine Lesbian Gay Political Alliance, which later became Equality Maine, which is still active today, Mm -hmm. was formed in part as a reaction to Howard's death. Today, a short distance from the site of Howard's death, a memorial has been erected and engraved on the stone are the words, May we, the citizens of Bangor, continue to change the world around us until hatred becomes peacemaking and ignorance becomes understanding. In May 2011, Vandals spray-painted graffiti and an anti-gay slur on Charlie Howard's memorial. Family and friends cleaned it up and rededicated it. I, I just still I can't believe. I think it believe. said die, fag. Did it? Yeah. Oh, my God. July 7th, which is Howard's death date, is now Diversity Day in Bangor. On July 7th, 2004, which is the 20th anniversary, a walk was held in memory of Charlie Howard. The Maine Speak Out Project maintains the Charlie Howard Memorial Library in Portland, Maine, and the library is open to the public. So I looked this up, and I can't find anything about a Charlie Howard Memorial Library. So I lived in Portland. There's only a couple of libraries there, and I tried Googling this, and I can't find anything that has his name on it. So if anyone knows... What that is, message us or leave a comment and let us know.
0: So in 2015, in June, Bangor celebrated its very first Pride event, which Yergi here marched in.
1: In Bangor? In Bangor. I didn't know that.
0: So it was a really, really, really hot day. How this all came about is the bank that I work for is a huge supporter of pride events in Maine. They usually are the chair people for Southern Maine Pride, which is the biggest pride events that we have. And Equality Maine reached out and needed people to march in Bangor Pride. So I'm like, okay, I'll head up because that year I couldn't go to Southern Maine Pride. I think I had like a birthday party I had to go to or something. I go up there and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm not seeing anybody from the bank. Well, apparently an email had gone out that Friday and I had PTO that day stating that we weren't going because they didn't have enough participation of folks that wanted to drive clear up to Bangor. Because mind you, My my bank has some branches up that way, but not many. A lot of the business and the employees are in the southern Maine area. So they didn't have enough people on short notice to drive up to Bangor. Well, I didn't get the email and showed up there anyway. Inequality Maine was actually putting this on. So rather than just going home, I saw the people who run Forgotten Felines of Maine, and I approached them and just asked to march with them. Oh, that's cool. And they let me hold their sign and gave me some kitty toys after so I, I marched in the parade with for two
1: good causes yeah
0: with Frida the throwaway kitty who's now deceased but she was a cat that was found in a ditch she was like this little itty-bitty Persian tortoiseshell with really Aww. long hair and she was like a little dwarf cat but they brought her everywhere as their spokesperson for their organization and she had this like little rainbow tutu on it was very
1: cute would she look like if Prada and Kitan had a baby if Prada
0: and Kitan had a baby it looked like Frida okay but like she was smaller than Prada, she was just the tiniest little little peanut. But Can't she imagine. did end up passing. She had a lot of health issues. Yeah,
1: I can imagine a found in the ditch. Yeah,
0: yeah, but she was very cute. It was it was. I had such a bad sunburn that day.
1: It yeah. was so
0: hot. Yeah, and surprisingly, I mean. It was a small event. There weren't many people marching in it. It was definitely not like the Pride events that I've been to in
1: Portland. No, I'm sure it was very underwhelming. I've seen some of these smaller town Pride Mm -hmm. events. And it's, it's not what you guys at home are probably envisioning.
0: No, but I mean, it was decent sized. I was actually somewhat surprised about it, so I marched with them. Uh, Bangor Roller Derby was in front of us, and it was actually kind of—it was kind of fun. And then they had street festival type thing where there were vendors in Pickering Square. But at that point, like I just wanted to head home because I was very sunburnt and, yeah, and needed some and food. Drive. And it was quite a drive. Definitely sun, sun drunk, but yeah, I went to their very first Pride event ever wow. up there. I know that. And it's very strange because I lived in Bangor for a small portion of 2005. So it was basically covering the winter there into that summer. And I tell you what, it's a very different thing. I did not fit in. At all. I mean, there is like a punk scene up there. When I moved up there, the only gay bar they had closed down was called Spectrum and it was right near where my apartment was. But there was really no gay scene up there at the time. No jobs up there. So I can definitely go with the sediment that Charlie couldn't find work because I worked two jobs at the mall and my partner at the time worked like three jobs at the mall. We never left that goddamn mall literally open to close that's where we were to like make ends meet on our 500 hundred dollar apartment
1: it was probably the biggest employer there save for maybe a factory nearby or something like that uh,
0: the airport was probably the second oh yes biggest, the airport because mm-hmm. that's where the only international airport is in maine if you're if you need to go through customs but there was really nowhere to work they, i mean there were some paper mills if you were skilled and could do that but yeah that was really all you could do up there
1: bangor is at least back then, and maybe to an extent now. And from what I hear from people that live there, have lived there, it's just, it's an impoverished place, all things considered, compared to other places. Compared to other places.
0: It's starting to get a little bit better now. It's definitely gentrified. That same apartment that I had in, when we went up to Bangor a couple weekends ago, I brought you by my old apartment. It was a hot fucking mess. Yeah. It was definitely just went to shit. But an apartment like that now probably would be like a thousand dollars because it's so close to downtown.
1: Yeah, it's true. And it was close to one Stephen King's house too. That pipe that was in it, the standpipe that's the, in the stand it. Yeah. Pipe, yeah, it was
0: like centrally located to so many different things. So the UU church, I could walk there from yeah. my apartment. I could walk to Charlie Howard's house. That was just on the other side of the roads. Oh, his
1: house was. Yeah, uh...
0: the the numbered streets first, second, third, all that stuff. That's. Over on the other side.
1: Was that place memorialized or anything like that?
0: We could find out. I don't think so. But Bangor definitely, it's just a very different thing. I mean, it's very quaint, but living there is very different. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's changed. So if any of my Bangor friends want to kind of speak to that, please please do. do. My experience up there, although... I found it very quaint and cute, just wasn't really great. I was happy to be back home.
1: So this incident inspired a similar scene near the beginning of Stephen King's novel It, in which three homophobic teenagers throw an openly gay man, Adrian Mellon, over a bridge into the Kendeskeg, where he was, did I say that right?
0: Kendeskeg you're saying it as best as you can
1: where he was set upon and murdered by the monster it in the form of Pennywise this incident was shown in the opening of the film adaptation of the second part of the book of the same name the murder is also the inspiration for a novel by Betty Green titled The Drowning of Stephen Jones and Mark Doty wrote a poem about the tragedy called Charlie Howard's descent
0: so yeah in this the second installation of it that very opening scene where the two guys come out of the, the carnival that's essentially like an ode to charlie howard yeah i think yep.
1: stephen king openly he openly admits
0: that. it and talks about it because he was like in his 30s when that happens and was outraged yeah he was recently ish when the second installation came out he was interviewed by the bangor daily news about it and like spoke to it
1: i think that most people when listening to this yes they'll probably think this is the 80s but I think it's hard not to feel like, oh, this is just some random senseless hate crime, but this isn't a common thing. But if you don't live in Maine, you probably don't completely understand what the culture like here. And again, it's not nowadays, it's not like this, but even the odds or earlier in the case of Yergi, homophobia was very prevalent and widely accepted.
0: yeah. So growing up, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit of an oddity on this because I came from a fairly accepting household. I met my first gay man when I was four years old. My neighbors would babysit me and my friend's Uncle Larry would come over. And he sort of dressed very new wave. I thought he looked like Boy George. I mean, he really didn't. But he wore women's boots, women's clothes. He actually is a drag queen now. And he was the first person that ever served me a drink legally because he worked at the gay bar that I used to go to all the time. So my friend Amanda told me, you know, Uncle Larry is gay. I went home and asked about it. My mom was very upfront about what that meant. So I was like totally okay with it and had some really good gay dar very early. In first grade, I had my first gay friends who still a friend to this day he ended up coming out in middle school. everyone was fairly accepting to him at the time he was definitely part of our scene and we were like the Goth kids and all. but it was when we got into high school that it became a really big problem. He ended up getting kicked out of school due to harassment because, The principal didn't want to deal with it and right out told him that if he wanted to get an education he needed to do it elsewhere so he ended up dropping out of school heading up to the bangor area and joining job corps where he then learned to to be a chef i mean i don't want to give too many details i don't know if he wants his story told i'm sure if you know he wants to talk about it he can
1: this sounds like a way more inclusive environment than what i grew up in
0: (laughs) yeah but i mean it was pretty pretty shitty he ended up Being my prom date, senior year... Yes,
1: I've seen the pictures. Yes,
0: it was pretty fabulous. I'll ask him if I can show it. But we were crazy. He wore this top hat in a pink cummerbund, and we covered ourselves in glitter. It was very stylish. And I wore this hot pink dress, and we just sauntered in and the principal's mouth dropped and it was fabulous it was a pretty gay prom because our advisor came with their partner and it was pretty pretty great
1: growing up there was kids that you thought could have been and there was always rumors there was rumors about a ton of people like that Mm -hmm. was just such a a commonly thrown around slur was anti-gay slurs growing up and when you grow up in the sticks people talk about things like gay bashing or fag drags or things like that it's just such this openly hateful thing to the point where there was nobody in my senior class who was out until after high school two grades ahead of me there was two people who were out but they were band kids and theater kids so they had such a large group around them that they were protected. If you didn't hang in such a cloistered environment, because if you were a band or a theater kid, you didn't have all your classes around there, but you could get down there pretty easily. You could spend most of the day there. Depending on your curriculum, if you had study hall, you didn't have to deal with anybody fucking with you at study hall. You could get a pass to go just hang out there, and many of them did. But if you weren't one of these people, and if you weren't a band or theater kid, they definitely would not accept you otherwise. You were kind of forced to stay in the closet.
0: I think that's really anywhere, because a lot of the people thinking back on it, you know, going to high school in the 90s into the early 2000s, anybody who was LGBT or LGBT adjacent, they were either a band kid, theater kid, goth kid, that's basically who we were.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we had one goth girl at my school and it was weird because like girls pick on her. Some dudes would, but like a lot of dudes wanted to fuck her. So it's hard for me. I know I know. I, I had friends in other schools that were goth and experienced a lot of the same harassment, not to equate like homophobia with hating goth kids. But
0: a lot of times it went hands in hands because they were the same group.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because if you, if you were in with the goths or in with the punks, they were a little bit more inclusive. And now that I'm saying this, I just remembered something. So everything that I just said about how homophobic my schools were growing up, this applied only to boys. It did not apply to girls. In fact, being a bisexual girl was a very, mm, how do I put this? sought after thing. It was something that many boys found attractive. And so many girls were openly bisexual. Many of them to this present day are not anymore. They were just that way in middle school and high school. And that was okay. That was a very accepted thing. But a boy being gay was not was not at all. I don't know if that was something that you'd see in other schools. I don't know if other people who grew up around the same time I did or Yergi did, if they saw that type of thing. But that is something that I remember. You were, it was not okay for you to be gay. But if you were a lesbian, totally fine. So
0: I think it's one thing we have to kind of, for people who haven't listened to maybe previous episodes, ab- about Drewby's school wasn't that far away from mine, but like the experiences sometimes are like night and day.
1: I, I would say it's actually rather far away. I, I was right in the sticks where you were, you were like live not far from the highway where you could just get to Brunswick pretty easily. Yeah,
0: but when thinking about like the general area you didn't live way out in the boonies like out in the county so you were basically depending on how you were driving it like two or three towns away
1: Turnier is kind of the boonies in some some extent okay it's not like as far out as like Buckfield or Sumner and it's not way ass northern Maine mm-hmm. but you you grow up in a very conservative environment a mostly poor working class farm people people who a, a lot of them are xenophobic don't like outsiders a what I mean is if someone Christian. were to, were to look
0: at a map like of Maine who does who's not familiar with the area
1: they would say wow this isn't far away. This isn't far away. But in re- yeah. in reality the culture the culture is, is very different. different. And actually Turner to L- Lisbon is probably 40 minutes, maybe well, 35. It's it's a little bit of a drive, but I see what the point you're making yeah. is. But the environments are night and day. Yes. Absolutely night and day. I mean, you didn't have you didn't have kids bringing guns to school. No, I did, and it okay. It, it's not that it was okay to bring guns in school. There were some people who had them in the building, but what was okay was having a gun rack on your truck and having a rifle in there. There were some kids who did that this is the type of place that i was people would drive their tractors to school their snowmobiles to school stuff like that this is definitely a rural environment mm-hmm. and i I've, I've witnessed multiple times kids fighting if somebody were to have called one of the people of color in my school a racial slur the school would have been all over that but i have seen so many times people openly calling each other faggot in front of teachers and the teachers not doing anything especially when there was like threats of violence going around. Like the teachers looked the other way a lot of times. So this was an openly hostile environment if you were gay. And I'm happy that my friend group and I were more accepting of those people. But unfortunately there was nobody, like even though we were accepting and we weren't tolerant of those things, there was nobody that we knew in our graduating classroom when we hang out with that was out.
0: So to your point where you had a lot of people who were out, and I say that in quotations as bisexual females, we didn't really have that at my school. It seems like that was more of some sort of fashion statement to get attention.
1: Well, that's, rather that's than it being what I mean. Li- yeah,
0: rather than it being like a legitimate orientation, the people that were out at my high school were literally like LGBT.
1: Yeah.
0: There there wasn't any of this... this trying to pander to men no it was by saying you were bi. it
1: was 100% a pandering thing and the I, I wish I had somebody that I was close to that was bisexual in high school and now isn't because I want to talk to them like what was that like what was the pressuring like and between some of the few bisexual or lesbian women at school And the men, where did the pressure come from and what kind of position did that place Mm -hmm. you in?
0: Because I was one of the out bisexual women in high school and I never had any sort of pressure whatsoever from anybody about anything. Yeah. Which is like the very interesting thing about what went on at my school and what went on at your school.
1: Yeah, it was it was quite different. Um, and, And yes, there was a there was a period of time where this whole people talk about gay as a fashion statement. That really only applied to bisexual women, and that was it. That did not... Like, doing that as a a man, you, you were at risk. Yeah. Very much at risk. You know, when I think about that place we worked at... Yes. I remember one girl in particular who very aggressively tried to convert straight women or tried to find out how bisexual you were and very aggressively sexually harassed people, and that was accepted. Yes. However, the the gay men that were there kind of a different story if they they wanted to be predatory they had to operate in secret or do things a little more subtly or even just to be gay it wasn't as this open thing as some of so as as that as that woman i mentioned and i kind of think that my high school in mm -hmm. a way was like that
0: yeah so to your point with that she was pretty sleazy
1: She wasn't just... like She was just played out nasty. I don't even want to say... I want to say predator. She was a predator. She
0: really was. And to your point about men who were doing the same thing, my roommate at the time was an open gay man, had a drinking problem, and at night sometimes would go in his room after a night of heavy drinking and would flirt with people via Facebook. He was fired for it.
1: He did more than that. He was straight up sexually harassing people. And this is somebody that told me that don't worry i'm he's not a threat to me because he's into real men so yeah no i i bore witness to a lot of his sexual harassment but but still like he had to be subtle about it whereas this this woman we mentioned she was very open about it so i just we're getting a little off topic here but i kind of tie that back into like how my high school experience was that workplace was essentially high school plus but Yeah.
0: So anyway, in closing, I'm really sad because this week, I'm on vacation right now, but this week we were supposed to fly out to go see Eddie in Milwaukee.
1: We were supposed to be in Milwaukee for Pride. To go to Milwaukee Pride. Yeah. And I'm really sad. I really wanted to meet Eddie and go to Pride there.
0: It's going to happen at some point. I've never been
1: to Milwaukee either. I've been to Wisconsin twice. I've never been that far out. I've been to Eau Claire. I've been to Madison. I've just never been to Milwaukee sucks
0: because we could have like done that and and gone to wherever the Ripleys Museum is to see Peter Curtin's head head
1: his 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 head is uh severed and dissected yeah that's at the Ripleys Museum not far, far. I think it's like an hour from Milwaukee but yeah I really wanted to go there and wanted to visit Dahmer's last residence or grave site I don't know what's there but so
0: basically it's just a big field now I well, think is, when we were talking yeah. about some of the stuff with Eddie on the Dahmer episode that we're gonna put out at some point that it's across the street from a hospital and it's basically just a big open field Yeah, now. I was
1: looking at it on Google Maps and I was just like shit <laughs> yeah but anyways all right so we got to wrap this up so let me do the Apple podcast reviews we have one today And it is fun to listen to. Keeps your interest and keeps you coming back. Keep it up. Great work from Garden State Revelry. I think I said that right. So thank you very much for the review. And if you want your review read on our episode, you can leave us a five-star review and a written review at Apple Podcasts, and we will shout you out on the podcast.
0: Thank you to our patrons, Eddie, Holly, Rowan and Marky you are all wonderful as usual we love
1: you so much We love you
0: so much so if you want to be our patron
1: patreon.com slash the misery machine
0: and come hang out with us
1: yeah discord snapchat you get postcards postcards are going out today
0: join our Facebook group yeah
1: join our Facebook group which I don't think has a hyperlink but it's in the description
0: it has like a hyperlink that doesn't make sense so I mean that kind of is what it is this Fa- Facebook sucks
1: face- Facebook doesn't make sense get zucked
0: anyways happy pride
1: yes happy pride um i wish that we were out there celebrating it as well as if you were listening and playing to attend pride this year i'm sure you're quite disappointed but i have faith for next year
0: i really hope so I work's putting on a virtual one Monday, but I'm sure it won't be that great. Yeah,
1: I'm sure it will suck, especially since it's your work doing it. Yeah. Because <laughs> people who make pride corporate don't actually care about queer people. But anyways. Really. Anyways, anyways, let's not get me
0: fired yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way. However.
1: It, it, it's nice when marginalized people become social currency to businesses. Okay, I'm done. I'm All done. Right. <laughs> anyway, we love you. And... Until next week.
0: Until next week, stay safe. Yep. Lots of loves and kisses and hugs.
1: Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye.
0: Did you hear that?
1: Who's out there? Oh, it's you, a podcast listener. Well, I'm John oh you really scared us i'm holly and we host the mystery of the week podcast guided by curiosity we creep through the shadows to uncover the strange and unexplained do go use toilets is my dad bigfoot we are here to ask the big questions and seek answers by deep diving into a mystery or discussing personal experiences
0: mystery of the week is available wherever you listen to podcasts or visit motwpodcast.com bigfoot, bigfoot bless, bless you